Welcome to Thinking Hard or Hardly Thinking with your host, Aaron Marks, a podcast about taking a high-level view of the dilemmas that stimulate and inspire us to find our place in the world. Now, Thinking Hard or Hardly Thinking. There is a nickname for the human species that is often invoked in models of exchange and rational decision-making. The nickname is Homo economicus. This implies a simple yet profound truth about the nature of being human and participating in the human experience. We are creatures driven by economic calculations, perhaps at our very deepest and most essential levels. Even if we do not consciously observe this process, or even ever become aware of it, it is always there working behind the scenes of every interaction we have and decision we make. More fundamental still is the elusive concept of value, the often nebulous but deeply compelling sense of whether things are worth having or experiences are worth doing. We are driven by this sense at all times, and yet, when you drill down to its essence, its ultimate source in nature becomes elusive, ineffable, protean, and just plain mysterious. And yet, it is always there, forcing evaluations, compromises, Monumental decisions at every level. What is it? Where does it come from? How is it created? And what is the definition we can ultimately agree on, if indeed this is even possible? We'll be exploring this and more today on Thinking Hard or Hardly Thinking. Today's episode is brought to you by Clearly Simple Business Consulting. If you are an entrepreneur or business owner who is stimulated by this discussion, you may very well find Clearly Simple to be a good fit. We connect with business people driven by a deep purpose, curiosity, and passion for providing their service to the world, and frustrated by the task of capturing it in the perfect messaging, branding, marketing, and systems. We enrich your enterprise on every level, from vision to team dynamics, from web design to culture, from social media marketing to tracking, and it all comes down to a deep dive into your identity as an entrepreneur, because everything flows out of that. Until you have that piece, you really don't have anything, but once you do, you have everything. Check us out at www.clearlysimple.net. Clearly Simple Business Consulting. And now, thinking hard or hardly thinking. The Nature of Value I recently watched a movie that made me think and wonder about this question of value. It's a light, breezy, entertaining film, not particularly profound, but containing a scene that gets to the heart of this value question and potentially provokes deep thought. But doesn't everything? I digress. Here's my best attempt at describing the scene. A man is in trouble. He is in a strange place and requires transportation to travel and solve an urgent problem. He is accompanied by a magical man who can endlessly enact miracles of a certain class. Together, they enter a restaurant in the desperate attempt to acquire an automobile from one of its patrons. They create a scene as they circulate among the tables, entreating one dining guest after another for access to what is among their most valuable assets. The restaurant apparently attracts a high class of clientele, as we learn that one of the dining couples holds the title to a Porsche parked outside. 
As the desperate man attempts to acquire the keys from the man, his magical companion produces an even more valuable item to entice the diner to surrender the car, a mint-conditioned Mickey Mantle rookie card. Clearly, the diner is persuaded as his eyes covetously consume the card and his hands rise to secure it. His wife, baffled by the absurdity of the transaction and clearly unaware of the card's value, intrusively snatches it and tears it in half to the shock and dismay of her aggrieved husband. All parties were so close to getting what they wanted. The desperate man with access to reliable transportation. The diner with a new asset that would allow him to acquire not just a new Porsche, but so much else. Naturally, entertainment must perpetually suspend our desire for resolution, or we would stop watching. Hence the intervention of the diner's wife. But I noticed a clear sense of frustration and loss in myself as she destroyed the baseball card. Even as my rational mind knew it existed only in the imagination of myself and other viewers of the film. The perceived value was so clear, so present, so real, that I took her intrusion as a personal affront. Value is hard to pin down, but it drives us to have real feelings and take real actions, a mysterious aspect of the human realm. To put a few numbers on that imaginary transaction, the most expensive Porsche one could buy rings up at just under 200 grand. To most of us, that's not chump change. If I was going to requisition your Porsche, even a gently used and moderately priced model, out of the blue, as in that example, I would have to make a pretty compelling case for you to gladly surrender it, or offer something of obvious commensurate or excessive value. Any idea what that baseball card comes in at? Should you be so fortunate to come across a mint-conditioned card of Mickey Mantle from 1951, the year he joined the majors, and you were able to acquire it for little or no personal sacrifice? you could expect that rare artifact to fetch the tidy sum of $3.5 million to the right collector, instantly affording you the resources to secure the exclusive use of almost 20 of the most feature-packed assembly-line fresh Porsche automobiles available at the moment. You understand the husband's distress at his wife's reckless act of destruction. So where does this concept of value come from? What is the mysterious power a mere rectangle of cardboard printed with a few special words and pictures holds to demand a valuation of cash that many of us will never see in our entire lifetimes? Where does that money come from when the collector in question buys it? And whence the motivation for surrendering a sum of that magnitude for, for an artifact that, all things considered, does not particularly change one's life when compared to so many other products and services that represent not even a fraction of its valuation? Where did the collector get his money? And where did that money come from? And that money? And that money? Why do we ascribe value to the currency issued by a government and collectively agree that it can make things happen in the real world? What is the ultimate origin of this mysterious, ethereal value? How is there such a wide differential between the valuation of various artifacts and professional services, even after millennia of moral contemplation, and your constant evolution toward justice and equality on so many levels? Maybe we should start there. First, let's simplistically dismiss communism. I recently heard a successful businessman assert that, as of this writing, socialism has been tried in 42 countries, and it has failed 42 times. Now, we can get into different theories and applications of socialism, fire departments versus healthcare, comparing different European countries and all that, but I'm going to table that for another day, because we're taking a higher level view here. I'll just say that I generally agree with the assertion that market capitalism, for all its flaws, has given more real value to the world than perhaps any other system. 
it is a system of valuation. That's essentially what it does all day, every day. Communism fails because it interferes with that very basic and natural mechanism with which we humans are engaging all the time. We look at different products, different services, and subconsciously attach some kind of quantity. So we know that a piece of cheese compares at different levels to an apple, a computer, a car, a house, a t-shirt. But certain types of cheese from different regions and produced according to certain standard will shift closer to the computer and further from the apple, albeit always a little closer to the apple. I mean, I can't think of a variety of cheese that would value closer to a computer than a single apple. Maybe you know something I don't. The problem with communism is that it collapses that very real value calculation we are constantly making into a centralized and authoritarian process that is ultimately divorced from the real source of value, which seems to be very close to the source of being human. And so, of course, it becomes a dehumanizing failure. There is obviously something vital and crucial about human nature that needs to find expression in the process of valuing products and services against one another, making choices based on this process, building a life around the freedom and ability to keep doing it, and structure a society around our collective need and desire to do this at scale. And as this plays out, we create a market that is an interrelated network of intersecting valuations of products, services, companies, industries, assets, people even, that is the natural and inevitable sum total of our collective process of evaluation. This generally starts with bartering. I trade my cheese for your apples, and your wagon, and your horseshoeing service. And we all realize that it will take many wheels of cheese to compensate for one of your buggies, and far fewer wheels of cheese for a single apple. We also notice that Jedediah, for some reason, is able to exchange fewer wheels of cheese for a buggy than Jeremiah. Is there something particularly distinctive about Jedediah's cheese? Let's try a blind taste test. Hmm, strange. I can't tell a difference. Let's talk to the wagon maker. Judah, why did you accept less wheels of cheese from Jedediah for the same wagon than Jeremiah when they essentially produced the same product? Well, replies Judah, you should have heard the way Jedediah talked about the cheese. It was spellbinding. I couldn't wait to taste the heavenly flavor that surely put all other cheeses to shame. But Judah, have you tried them side by side? Let's do that now. Oh, Judah is dejected. That's what I get for trusting a slick salesman. Never again will I be so innocent. Buyer beware. But in this manner, the market values in its messy way, and we reach a societal consensus. Eventually, Jehoshaphat does produce a superior cheese and is able to exchange less of them for a buggy, and everyone acknowledges it to be so. For those who enjoy cheese, we all know how they stack up. And there's a few weirdos who don't like cheese. They would never trade a painting or a table or a cow for any amount of cheese, no matter how it's stacked up. Even within our collective valuation, there is diversity, and we don't all agree on what is desirable. Just part of the spice of life, I guess. So I've been thinking, would it make sense to represent this abstract sense of value we all share more concretely somehow? Do you follow? Would that free us up in some important ways, open up possibilities we can't quite yet envision? facilitate greater economic expansion and risk-taking? Do you catch my drift? What if we could agree on some kind of universally regarded number for the different valuations we all seem to collectively share? If one of Judah's buggies trades for 50 wheels of Jeremiah's cheese, or 30 of Jehoshaphat's, and 6 bushels of my apples, and 2 of Jeroboam's fine oak tables, could we put all those products side by side and run them through, oh, I don't know, some kind of medium of exchange? Uh, 
currency, if you will. These smooth, shiny rocks might do. Or wait, wait, what if we made little discs out of that beautiful, shiny gold stuff we see in the hills all around the village? How about that? It's pretty hard to find, so you know it would be hard to fake it. Hmm, it could work. That way, I don't need to keep bringing ungodly amounts of apples whenever I want a new wagon. I just put a few discs in my pocket. We could even have the elders of the village stamp them with a special seal so that we know that they are legitimately part of our system. That's not a bad idea. Hey, wait a minute. Isn't there that village a couple days yonder? I wonder if they would start taking our new currency. Wait, they already have one of their own? Oh, interesting. I wonder how many of their coins they need for a wagon over there. I guess we'll need to talk with them and see how the numbers compare. And hey, now you're offering to hold on to my shiny discs in exchange for a few of them each year? And you're doing this for a quarter of the villagers already? And you say if you get enough to do this, you can start lending discs out to other villagers who need a little bit of capital to start offering clothing and silverware? And you're going to take some of the discs they make on their products in exchange? Interesting. Seems strange, but I guess it might work. Now, we haven't really answered the question of where value comes from but we can see it as a deeply human impulse to measure, quantify, and compare it, and the impulse is suppressed at great societal and economic peril. But how is it that a mint-conditioned Mickey Mantle rookie card will go through its life attracting more and more of this value, so as to eventually wield the economic power to feed a small village for a year? And further, why is it that merely breaking the seal on my complete set of baseball cards from 1992 reduces the value by half? The money will materialize to match the market valuation hailing from some undisclosed location in the universe, through a chain of human hands, one after another. Where exactly will we find this mysterious, hallowed corner of creation? How long ago was the value born? A collector purchases the card for three and a half million dollars, or perhaps a group of collectors, or a museum. They got their money from somewhere, and those before them, and those before, and on. Where and when is the mysterious origin of value? Where is its ultimate destination? Further, when the stock market crashes and billions or even trillions of dollars evaporate, where does it go? Was it ever there? How is it that we keep climbing up the stepladder of trust to make an economy grow and flourish? I'm sorry if this is disappointing to you if you have listened this far, but I just don't know. Did you think I had the answer? It's above my pay grade, I'm afraid. And it's not the kind of question we explore to find an answer. It's the kind of question we explore to learn what makes us human. Do animals have a sense of value? Do they possess the ability to compare goods and services quantitatively and run all of them through a universal medium of exchange? What do you think the answer is? You can search for it if you want. I just did, and while there are isolated stories of different animals exchanging various things for others, I remain satisfied that systemized economic behavior is found solely in the societal domain of humans. In other words, it is a major spiritual, psychological, and sociological force and influence on our behavior that we ignore at our peril and acknowledge to our great benefit. And I think our lives can and should be, in many ways, a search for value, both in terms of what we seek to consume and to provide. What value do you seek? Is it fine food, clothing, a nice dwelling, a fancy car, a beautiful library, exotic travels? What value will you provide? Products? Services? Innovations? Entrepreneurship? Leadership? Content creation? Here's a thought to dwell on. 
While we are accustomed to subconsciously considering the differences in valuation between products and services in the marketplace, so, for example, we realize with hardly any thought that a doctor will make more than a carpenter per hour, and a computer will cost more than most books, and an Apple computer will cost more than a PC, we are less accustomed to valuing people. We do it, of course, with the measurement of net worth, but the fact that most of us are reluctant to advertise that number for a variety of reasons, whereas advertising the value of a product or service is a requirement to perform commerce, means we are somewhat less accustomed to making this evaluation. But it is one of the most important numbers for you to know about yourself. It is the sum total of the value you have been able to draw from that mysterious and shadowy corner of the universe. However it appears in the human realm, we all absorb and circulate this mystical stuff called value. How's your valuation doing? If you'd like to improve it, here are a few factors on which you might focus. It is a partial list, and presented in no particular order. And this list is as much for me as it is for you. The work is never done. Learn a trader skill. Improve the trader skill. Seek ongoing education and training. Get a job. Ask for a raise. Find a new job. Learn to market your trader skill. Attract more clients and customers. Raise your prices. Save instead of spend. Invest instead of save. Learn to evaluate investments. Learn about a new investment. Start a business. Improve a business. Sell a business. Buy a business. Master negotiation. Stay on the cutting edge of technology and innovation. Find a problem to solve that remains thus far unsolved. Become obsessed with people's needs and how best and most efficiently to meet them. Invest in research and development. Find a business partner. Join a networking group. Start a business mastermind. Get better friends. Find a mentor. Get a coach. Hire a consultant. Join a business or personal development program. Improve your diet. Focus on physical fitness. Buy a better wardrobe. Cultivate good hygiene and grooming. Read a new book this week. Discover a new podcast. Get a financial advisor. Listen to a radio show about money. Start creating content. Attract sponsors or advertisers. Get into leadership. Speak to the public with an authoritative, trusted voice. Increase your self-discipline. Start a family at the right time. Marry someone who is on the same page as you. Do deep inner work about your personal happiness and purpose. So, how many have you done? How many do you continue to do? While we could probably come up with some kind of super intricate formula with all sorts of parenthetical twists and turns and coefficients to quantify once and for all all those things working together, I assert that the net value of any individual you will ever meet or study is the sum total of all of those elements working together. Collectively, all of these factors somehow serve to make you more attractive to the value, wherever it comes from. While we won't ever be able to completely define, characterize, or trace value to its source, the list I just read is, in my opinion, the very curriculum vitae of human flourishing. So let's leave on that note. Value is the quantification of human flourishing. As such, it is your birthright and your responsibility to cultivate as much as you can in your own life and your circle of influence. If everyone sought to do that, can you imagine the world regressing? It seems unlikely to me. Need to know what to do next? Want to get closer to that Porsche or Mickey Mantle rookie card? Even if you never quite get there, 
there is nothing like the experience of increasing your personal valuation. Simply pick one of the factors above, probably closer to the top of the list if you are just beginning, and get started. You will soon realize you have attracted some of that mystical value from wherever it originates into your own little corner of the universe, now richer with the wonder of human flourishing. Wherever you find yourself, take the next step. The future, rich in value, is waiting. Thanks for listening to Thinking Hard or Hardly Thinking. I hope you have enjoyed it and found it stimulating. Please download, subscribe, and review to help spread the word to more great listeners like you. As always, this episode has been brought to you by Clearly Simple Business Consulting. Business consulting for purposeful entrepreneurs who want to enter the marketplace with deep intention and clear communication. We look at every element of your business from numbers to systems, to branding, to marketing, to tracking, to team dynamics, and make sure it matches your purposeful intention. Reach out to us for a free initial consultation at www.clearlysimple.net. And one final note for today. I often have people tell me they treasure this kind of exploratory conversation and that they are not able to have it with anyone else in their life. It's like I'm validating all the secret thoughts they have had all their lives and giving them space to air them when no one else realized why they were important or even understood. For some of us, it is these thoughts and a safe space to air them that gives us the purpose and meaning to keep moving forward, finding our unique place in this strange, often overwhelming, but magical and wonderful world. If this is you, you probably know who you are. Congratulations. You're not alone. If you'd like to take your thinking to the next level, I invite you to reach out and see if coaching with me is a good fit. Just go to AaronJMarks.com and follow the directions you see there. I promise I'll never pressure you, and if it's right, it will happen quite organically. But if I'm piquing your interest, you should check it out, because having me as a conversation partner will change your life. It will energize and inspire you, and you never know what will happen or where your life will go after that. Just go to www.AaronJMarks.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-J is in jump, M-A-R-X.com, and check it out. I know it can be lonely to want to think and talk like this, but if you're here, remember, you're not alone, and I'm on your side. I look forward to talking with you soon. Thanks again for listening. This has been the Thinking Hard or Hardly Thinking podcast with your host, Aaron Marks. We'll see you next time when we'll continue to take a high-level view of the dilemmas that stimulate and inspire us to find our place in the world. We'll see you then.